please uh, bow your heads with me. Lord, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the gospel and especially the church. And Jesus, your promise to build the church and church and the gate would not prevail against it. Lord, I ask you to help me as the preacher this morning and each one of us to hear what you have to say to the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I prayed that collect for um, all, all Feast of All Saints, which is the first of November, so that was Monday, um, but this is the first Sunday after All Saints, and we typically have baptisms on this Sunday because it makes um, a lot of sense to be baptizing people into the church, church, and being that the church is this 2,000-year-old body of people that include those who've gone to be with the Lord as well as those alive on the earth today, so we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And I want to begin by, by asking, of, have you ever been stuck in the season of church shopping? Or church, or church hunt. By that I mean looking for a church home. You, you do not have a church that you could call your home, and so you were kind of wandering, looking, hoping. I mean, maybe that's where you are right now, actually, and if, if that's the case, I pray that you'll, you'll, you'll stop and find a home here. Um, but um, once you've experienced a great church, being without it becomes very, becomes very hard. You know what you're missing out on. And oftentimes, it's life transitions that happen. It's not necessarily sin or whatever. It's just life. It gets in the way sometimes. Maybe an illness keeps you from being able to be at your church, or a job transfer happens, or your family situate, situates in some way, or you, know, you graduate and you, you go off to college, whatever it might be. You can find yourself in these, these, um, these church shopping moments, and they're difficult. I think I've told you before that I came to that I came to faith as a senior in high school and um, had a church that was incredible. To this day, I hey, I thank God church and it was um, very difficult when I was a freshman in college because I didn't have my church. I and I I didn't know what I was missing at first and then I started to realize at that church I had community, community, friendship. Like I actually knew people there and we went to church together, we went to youth group together and we hung out outside of church as well. So it wasn't just when we were at church. It was a community of friends that were seeking God in all, in all aspects of our lives. And we had really good pastors. The, the, the Sunday morning main pastor was a really good preacher, and the youth pastor was engaged in our lives, and they were both godly men, and they knew us. Like, they, they knew by name and knew more than just my name. And so they were, they were it was personal to me. I think of Eugene Peterson, the famous Christian author uh, who passed away recently, he said he never wanted to pastor a church with more than 300 people because that's as many names as he could remember. <laughs> I don't know if that actually was true and if, if he ended up in a church that small or not, but, um, but you can understand the desire to know and be known. And that church that I was in gave me opportunity, opportunity to serve. They challenged me. There were mission trips. There were local days of service and caring for the poor. For the poor. Opportunities within the church to do things to, to serve and make the church function like it's supposed to. And they taught me to love the Bible. It opened God's word. It was a Bible-centered church. And so I grew in my love, in my love for And then I had memories of physical places within the structure where I had interacted with God in some way. You know, um, this church has those for me as well. I, I look over there by that corner, um, by the transept, transept, and right there, my very young children and I wrote prayers when this church was being built in, built, in construction on the concrete slab before the flooring went in. Like, many of you were part of that. And it's just like physical spots. All of this builds this sense of, I belong. And for me, it was the first church where I felt that kind of, kind of connect community. 
And my hope is that you'll have a church like that and that maybe this would be that church. Now today is also a newcomer's lunch. So we have newcomer lunch um, at 12, uh, 15 today, and I think there's 10 people signed up for that. For that. I, I typically ask the newcomers, what's the most important thing, or what's one thing you really care about in a church that you would call your home? And I, for this sermon, I'm going to push that question up a little bit higher, a little bit higher, and ask us all the question of what makes a good church? And today, today, our gratitude challenge, if you started that last week, last week we've been, we're, we're in November, and we're going to do the entire month, and every day there's something assigned to be grateful for. Today, it happens to be the church. We're grateful for the church today, if you're doing the gratitude challenge. And, and as I mentioned, it's baptisms. There'll be 11 people baptized, three in this service, and the rest at the later one. And we're bringing these people, in, these people into, and into his church body. And so we're starting into three weeks of, gra- of gratitude um, in November, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians, Paul's short letter to the Philippians. So I think it's helpful if you actually look at it. It's on page 980 in a pew Bible, if you have one near you. And as you get there, you get there let me kind of set up what Philippians is. Well, first of all, it's an epistle, which is not the wife of an apostle. It's a letter. It's a letter to the church. It is a short letter. This is only four chapters long, long, Philippians chapters long. Most scholars suspect that Paul was imprisoned in Rome Rome when he did. He was definitely in prison. It's a question of where, but most likely it was Rome. And this letter is packed with gratitude and joy, even though he's imprisoned under the threat of death, death, he executed at any moment. And, and I want to suggest this morning that a good church, this was a good church in Philippi, a good church is a treasure to strive for. And I realized right away when I qualify, qualify it to the word good, I'm on a slippery slope, right? There is no perfect church. But I think about the Spirit's letters to the churches in Revelation. The Spirit says to the various churches around Asia, um, he points out defects in several of them. One has lost its first love and grown cold. Another one is tolerating heresy. Another one, you go through the seven churches there, and I think only two of them are commended with no specific things they need to do. But five of them have major problems that the Holy Spirit wants to be corrected. And I think about Paul's own, Paul's own ministry. He was in a number, he started a bunch of churches. You know, the church in Corinth was a pain in, in his re- He was, and he says this in his letters, like he had a difficult visit. There's a third letter that I think, I suspect, this is my, my speculation, was so rough, the Holy Spirit edited it out of the canon. So we only have one and two Corinthians. Two Corinthians have the third one. But they were bad. Like, they had real bad problems in that church. They were fighting over which of the pastoral staff was their favorite. They had all kinds of immorality. They didn't do the Eucharist right at all. They were, there was infighting. It was just, it was just, the church in Galatia had similar uh, problems. They were caught up on circumcision, trying to do works to earn their salvation. And they were just struggling to receive the gospel as a message of grace, undeserved gift. They wanted to turn it into a work that had to be done. And they just couldn't let it go. But with this church, the Philippians church was a blessing to Paul from day one, and he was so grateful for it. And so in a letter, typical letter style, you would start off the letter by saying who, who is writing and, and to whom addressed, and then there'd be oftentimes some platitudes, but like thanksgivings for something about the recipient, and then what I really want to talk about. But the section we just heard read, the first, first 11 verses, is the platitudes. He is deeply thankful for some very specific things. 
And these, and these are the things I think make this a good church, Philippians, a good church. And I'm, I'm going to just alliterate it with three points so you can remember what they are. But the first one is gospel, the second is grace, and the third is growth. And we're going we're to look at the tier. Look at verse 3 through 5. After the greeting, Paul says, I thank my God in all my, remember, my remembrance always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my, my prayer way because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He is full of gratitude for this church because from day one, they were partners in the gospel. Now, I don't, now I don't know how your Bible trivia is, but do you remember how the church in Philippi got started or where you could find that story? It's actually in Acts 16, and Paul is on a missionary journey, and he has gone up, gone up from the area around Syria, Damascus. He's gone up into the area that we would call modern-day Turkey, and his intention was to peel east and go into Asia. But it says in Acts 6, Spirit forbid them to do that. I, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but somehow the Spirit of God, God stopped going to the east and kept pushing them over to the west. And they try to go up into the northern part of Turkey. Again, they're stopped. And then in a vision in the night, Paul sees a, sees a man from Macedonia saying, hey, help us, help us. And when he wakes up, he assumes that this is a, a call from God saying, you need to go into Europe, which is Macedonia. You got to go across and leave Asia Minor and go into Europe. Go into Europe. Philippians church is actually the first church Paul planted in Europe. And the next day, they get on a ship, they go, they go across the way, they go to, I think, the town of Troas for one day, and then they go into Philippi, which is a leading colony of Rome. So this is an important city. It's, it's a heavy military presence. It doesn't have a lot of Jews. It has a lot of Roman, Roman citizens, and it's on a trade route. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a colony of Rome, not necessarily an established town yet. So there's transition happening, powerful marketplace. From a strategic standpoint, it's actually really smart, because it's, it's one of those towns to get a trade route going into Europe. And so Paul goes in there, and he says that on the Sabbath day, he goes looking for a synagogue and apparently can't find one. And so he learns that there is a group of people praying down by, praying down by, and on the Sabbath, they go to this place that they supposed would be where prayer was. And so let me read to you what happens there. There, This is, this is Acts uh, 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down, and we saw the women who came together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of, seller of goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this was obviously a women's group. And these, these missionaries, it was Paul and Silas and probably Luke. It's, it's the pronoun shift from they to we. And Luke is writing Acts. But they're in there. there this, prayer, this lady's prayer group and start sharing the gospel. And the Lord opens the heart of Lydia. Lydia is a merchant. She's a businesswoman. She's head of her household, apparently. The Lord opens her heart and she converts. She becomes hurt. She becomes right there and is baptized. And then her whole household is baptized with her. And immediately she says, if you've judged me faithful, come to my house. The first day she believes and is baptized, she becomes a, a house church planter, planter, plants a church in her house, a brand new church. And Paul is writing in this letter, letter, gratitude for 
their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's verse 4 in uh, Philippians 1. From the first day until now, a gospel partner immediately. And I want to say to you as a church, we wrestle in this country with what, what pastors call Christian consumerism, where we come to church and we want to be served. We want to consume something. And we're, temp- and we're tempted to oh, I don't like that church because the music's not good. I don't like that church. The pews are uncomfortable. I don't like that church because I bring my coffee into the sanctuary. I don't like that church because the pastor talks too long or too short or too fast or what. And we, we call this a service, right? Service, right? Who is being served? Are we serving the Lord? Are we bringing, are we bringing worship? Is he serving us? Are you being served? Is this, is this a platform or a stage? Are you a congregation or an audience? In Christian thinking, especially Anglican, liturgy means the work of the people. And we all, all come to, to worship God. We all are, are part of serving the Lord and receiving his service to us. It is a corporate thing. It's a corporate thing. So Christian consumerism kills discipleship. And right away, this church was a, church was a good church of their, their gospel partnership. Right away, she's like, I want to serve, serve you to my house. Let me care for you. I want to start a church in my house. How can I serve you? And prevailed, I guess she had to kind of really nudge them. They nudged them, they were for some reason, but it says that she pre- prevailed upon them, and then they went into her house. And that became where the church got started there. And then she ended up, she and the church supported Paul's mission once he, once he went on. The story of the, the jailer in town, um, something else happens in Acts 16, where, the scene where they get prisoned, and um, right away the gospel is causing hardship for Paul and the others. And later, as this letter says, he's in prison under the threat of death. And in those days, they did days, they didn't have three squares a day for people that were in prison. You needed a family or friends to come and bring you supplies in prison. And so they were, they were doing the day one. They were supporting him as a missionary, and then they were paying for him and helping him while he was imprisoned. He's so grateful for their partnership in the gospel. So gospel is what makes a good church. It's a church that receives the gospel and immediately takes responsibility for spreading it and sharing it with others. A good church owns the the gospel. So gospel. Second is grace. Look at verses 6 and 7. Paul said, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all all partake with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You know, I think for Christians Christ who walked with the Lord for a long time, there's a temptation for us to think, it is by grace, by grace I saved, but now I have to be sanctified by work. And Paul inc- includes himself in this word of grace, that you are partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and my defense of the gospel. Of the gospel. Paul needs grace, even though he's a, an apostle. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day, we never graduate from grace. We never outgrow this. And a, a good church is grace-filled. And part of that means, that means, you know that I need God's grace moment by moment? You know the saying, but by the grace of God go I, I. I then can extend grace to everyone else. Even if you're struggling in an area in your life that maybe I'm not struggling with. Who am I to judge you? I'm a sinner in need of grace moment by moment, and so are you. And so as a church, our vision is extends, extending we want to extend the boundaries of the church and, and the gospel, but we also want to have grace for one another. This is a hospital, not, not a museum. And a, and a good church is a grace-filled church. It is central 
is centered around Jesus, and we never get away from what he's done for us on the cross, and our, and our, our for eternity to him for that. And Jesus is mentioned in here so many times. Paul is, is very, very on how much he needs Jesus to help him. And they're, par- they're, par- they're partners in that. They're participants in grace with him. You never graduate from grace. So a good church owns the gospel. It is grace-filled. And then look at growth. Look at verse 9. A little later he says, It's, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So here he's he's su- suggesting you can't get to a place of completion in this life. There is more for you. There is more for Paul, and his and his is that they would abound more and more in love, love for God, love for others, in knowledge. You know, one of the things about the Anglican liturgy is that we will um, oftentimes pray, pray in our prayers. We will pray for the, de- the dead, the deceased. And the Protestant, Protestant Reformation allows people to go, wait, you can't do that. You can't pray for the dead. It's in this life is decided which way they're, they're going. But we're praying for an increase in the knowledge and love and service of God, which actually can continue forever because we serve an infinite God. There are things that we will keep learning about God forever and ever and ever which is really encouraging. It's not going to be boring. This life, Paul is praying for, for you to abound more and more in love and knowledge and discernment. Also, growing in the ability to recognize what is God doing in this particular moment? What is the Spirit doing in this situation? How, how is God's kingdom coming here? Growing in someone, as someone who can discern, discern opening in your situation and so be able to bring the gospel that you have into that situation. Paul wants them to have this more and more and more. And so a good church is a church that wants growth. And I don't just mean like the ego kind of growth, like we, we have so many people and so much money, those kind of things, but, but growth in purity, growth in mission, growth in community. And of course, numbers matter too, but that's not really the growth he's talking about. Growth he's, talking about. he's talking about growing in love for people, growing in knowledge of God, and growing in discernment of what's, of what's how kingdom works, what's going on in your situation. So these three, gospel, grace, and growth, are some of the marks of a good church. You could add more, but I'm just trying to stick with the text. In this church, we try to let the text, the text, the messages, not Mike's ideas. So a good church is a, is a treasure to strive for. Jesus strove for us to win a church, a bride for himself, and it's, it's something that we ought to, ought to also for and work for. It's not a guarantee that a church will maintain these three things. Churches are in, churches are in flux. Some of them are losing the message. We are in this moment because we had to walk away from a denomination that lost some of these important elements. So what do we do with this? What's our takeaway? Well, one, how, how am I ownership for the gospel? Like Lydia did from day one. She immediately went, she was not a consumer, immediately went into action. What that looked like for us? Well, one, I hope you're supporting missions and church church plant and helping other healthy and good churches happen in this world you know um, if you go to another city and you go looking for this church you oftentimes can't find it and i hear reports reports people are reaching out from tampa to the diocese saying we need a church down an anglican church in tampa tampa would you would you plant one and we're praying about that the diocese is and so are we supporting missions and church planning and then locally 
I hope you'll use the alpha tool that our church uses not as something to consume, as the tool that you can share the gospel with your friends and neighbors and family members. It's so easy. Hey, come to a dinner. To a dinner talks about the important questions of life, and you can ask any question you want. It's such low, such low end to get spiritual conversations going and share the good news with people. I'm hoping that this spring, when it comes around again, you'll pray about people and actually ask them, and then we're going to pray and give us those names, and we're going to pray that they say yes. That's, that's partnership for the gospel. So gospel. Another question is, do I have grace in my life? And I, by that, I mean, day by day, I'm receiving God in grace, not works. I'm not trying to earn, earn some. I'm not trying to win favor with him. I'm not trying to be a, a good person so I'll, I'll be approved, but rather know that he's already, he's already approved of me in Christ. He's forgiven my sins. He's present in my life. Is that true of you? And do you have room for other sinners? Are you extending grace to other people? So how am I taking ownership of the gospel? Do I have grace in my life for myself and for others? And then the third thing, am I committed to growth? I want to encourage you to ask God for more. Don't settle with what you've got. There's for more. Ask him for more. More love for him and others. More knowledge of who he is. And more discernment of where his kingdom is coming. You can look in this church specifically at our discipleship, discipleship path or quadrants of worship, belong, serve, and make disciples, and think, and think, I have more of those things. And who I bring with me as I pursue those things. So striving in these areas will produce a good church, and a good church is a treasure to strive for. Would you pray with me? Lord, for each one of us that has experienced that community in a good church, in a good church, be thanks. And I pray that this church would be like that for everyone. I pray many churches that are like this church in Philippi. It blessed Paul the Apostle so much. It was so steadfast. May we be like that and treasure the gift of the church. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now we're